Welcome into the 30 for 30 Club podcast. I'm your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Bobby Nemeth. It is August 21st, 2022. We are in the dog days of summer. And uh, how are you doing, Bobby? How are you liking uh, this, this late week. August stretch? Uh, I think he said that last week, dog days. But he still is. Uh, well, the weather has been great here. I, I don't know if is it hot as hell in Portland? Yeah. It is very yeah, hot. I, imagine. I mean, for my standards, I mean, it's like upper 80s, lower 90s every day. It's humid there, too. So but up here in Tacoma, it's it's been like 81 degrees and sunny. The morning's been a little like gloomy until about noon. Uh, then it clears up. So it's been really nice. Um, but the last week has been rough. <laughs> like. We'll get to that and why it's been rough, but man, the Yankees are, I, I talk about it every week and we're going to talk about it a little bit more today and um, it's just never ending. It's just never ending and yeah. I hope it does. Well, before we get into that, I wanted to start off with something, uh, just a fun, lighthearted topic that has nothing to do with sports at all, but it is something that happened to me today that I wanted to pick your brain about. So I'm excited. I was I was at Fred Meyer today doing my weekly grocery shopping and I get in line at the check stand and there's this guy in front of me that has a shopping cart full of crystal light. Oh, you texted me about that. And I mean, he has the entire shopping cart, like a full size shopping cart is just all of these little boxes of crystal light. And then on the conveyor belt, he probably has like three quarters of the conveyor belt is taken with more crystal light. And at first I'm like, what is what's going on? And the the cashier's like cracking up at this as he's scanning all of these crystal lights. And I'm watching the you know how they have the monitor that shows like the price of everything. I'm watching it and it's just we're get, we're getting to like $400, $500, $600 like it just keeps going up. This guy bought $800 worth of crystal light. $800. And I had never seen anything like it where it was one product. He didn't have anything else in his cart except different flavors okay. of crystal light. I have a theory. That added up to $800. I have a theory here. Okay. Okay. I I don't mean to interrupt, but I used to live with a guy who found out that he had, um, what, type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that he wanted to drink or could drink after that was Crystal Light. And he bought it by the case almost every day. And I'm wondering if this individual was in a very similar situation, has a little bit more money, and my roommate did, and um, this is it. This is all he does. He drinks Crystal Light, and he just needs it. Well, it it reminded me of you because I remember, like during the pandemic and that the beginning of the pandemic, everyone will remember this. There was like shortages of toilet paper, paper towels, you know, hand yep. sanitizer, things like that. And I remember having a conversation with you about like you to. So, for those of you who don't know, Bobby used to work uh, in grocery. And you were talking about how, like, you'd have to stop people from, like, clearing out your supply of, like, bottled water or everything, whatever it is. Everything. And I was so when I was in line today. I was thinking there's probably not any crystal light left. <laughs> like, I think this looks like an entire I'm rash. I'm shocked 
that they had $800 worth of crystallite on the shelves. I think I'm more shocked about that. Uh, my only other I mean, thought... Fred, Fred Meyer usually has pretty big quantity of... But even stuff. then, like... So in a situation like that, this man... And I'm hoping this isn't the case, or maybe this is a one-off thing, and we have just no idea. We just... The stars aligned, and it's the first and only time he's going to do this in his life. But if he's somebody that does this often, or he has, like, I don't know, like a shelter or you know a, a daycare or something uh, a you know what i mean or a are you talking about oh i thought you were talking about like no the no no like days. you know like a homeless shelter or something or maybe he's buying this to donate like i'm being optimistic right yeah. i'm being positive or his office then you need to order that shit by the case you can't come to fred meyer and just clear everything on the shelf like <laughs> this man <laughs> needs to do a special order or actually get it from like eight hundred dollars Man, he should just go straight through the company and they can ship him cases of it. What is he doing? He could get a better price yeah. through Costco, Sam's Goods. You that's, know? that's some weird so anyway, stuff. It made me... I, the reason I brought it up on the podcast is I wanted to pick your brain okay. and say, what is the weirdest experience you had like when you were at the cashier stand God. kind of along these lines where just like a very weird purchase either like a million items of one thing or it could be something else but like what's something that sticks out to you okay well here's the thing is that i was in grocery business for 11 years so there's too many to count and i, I don't say that to, as a cop out <laughs> you'd have to give me some time to actually think about it because there's been a lot but i will say one of the stranger interactions i had while checking somebody out was Somebody, and this is when I was back in Montana, and I used to close the store, and we were open till midnight. And inevitably, you'd have some people come in right, like, 11.57, okay? And we had this couple came in, and he wanted emu oil. And so I walked him back, because there's nobody in the store, it's just me and the other closer. Walked him back, showed him where it was, came back up to the front, because, again, we're the only people in the store, so we have to check him out. And... He popped open this bottle of emu oil, started rubbing it all over his body, and then and proceeded to grab my hands and rub emu oil on my hands to tell me how amazing it was at like midnight, and I'm trying to close the store. So that was a little odd and that was a little strange, but um man, you'd have to give me you'd have to give me like till next time. I could try to think of some doozies, but and when you're dealing with the public and um and you're in the in that spotlight for 11 years. I got to tell you, you see every side of humanity, and I certainly have. Yeah, uh, I uh, I'm sure that it's taught you a lot about people, and you know how to how to react to interesting characters and the right way to handle situations. I've definitely so. developed some skills, for better or for worse. Yeah. Okay. I I just thought that was a fun like non sports thing that happened to me today that you could relate to oh real quick since we're on the topic of at least mem like memorable uh checkout experiences one of those times that we had somebody come in shopping really late some guy and his wife and his two kids and they clearly were traveling so where i used to work was kind of a, a higher-end grocery store in montana and we had this resort called big sky so a lot of rich people lived there. It was a ski resort. So people would travel, come shop at our store, and then go to Big Sky and stay there. So this guy comes in, gets a huge cart, checks out. 
the guy that checks out is none other than John Stockton. So I checked out John mm-hmm. Stockton and his family uh, at 1140 at night in Bozeman, Montana. So again, I have a list of were many all different of his, things. Were all of his kids with yeah. him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, he has several kids. I can't remember. At least three. I know I know of three. Oh, well, then maybe I not. They only have two kids. It was his daughter and a, and a son. Okay. I, uh, I also have a John Stockton story. This is kind of sports related. So when I was at Gonzaga, obviously where his alma mater, um, I worked for the catering company on campus. So they'd cater all the banquets and some of the sports events and stuff like that for all the all the special season ticket holders. Uh, so there was a banquet in the basketball arena one day, and I was out serving, you know, just giving plates out to everyone's like steak with a really nice dressing on it like very very nice food um and i served john stockton's table so i i don't think i really said anything to him i just handed him a plate with steak on it so we, that we is both my john have stockton our john experience. stockton firsthand experience but i can say that i was like you know the irony john that both of john stockton. both me and you have met him in different facets and a service industry what a world I mean, Gonzaga is not a very big school. So, uh, yeah, when you spend four years there, you're bound to run into him. That's true. He does spend a lot of time there, except for in the arena because he wasn't allowed. But not to get too deep. Yeah, this was this was long before that. (laughs) Okay. Um, while we're on the topic of basketball, we'll start out with uh, our little basketball topic for the day and then we'll go into baseball. So there was a, a report that came out this week that the Portland Trail Blazers are not going to send their TV, radio, uh, game day announcers to any road games this year. And for those of you that don't know, it's very standard in all sports, but particularly basketball, that you send your road, you send your crew of your own network that represents your team that's calling the games for you guys. You send them to every single game, whether it's home or away. And that way, fans have a consistent, um, you know, consistent voice to follow. It's like you want to hear the Mariners being called by the same person, whether they're in Seattle or whether they're in New York. Right. So the Blazers decided they're going to cheap out and they're not going to pay for any of their media staff to to travel with the team for the this entire upcoming season. And there was a ton of backlash about it uh online obviously and it because it's like we've on the show we've talked a lot about owners being cheap and petty (laughs) yes but this is like the fact that they are the only team in the entire nba doing this shows that like they're really out of touch uh, and that they don't care take and that they don't care the rumor is that the team is going through negotiations for a sale possibly to Phil Knight, which would be great since he is a, you know, Oregon legend and has plenty of money to buy the Blazers. Uh and that the Allen estate is trying to basically make the financial statements look as optimistic as humanly possible. Cut every cost you possibly can to make it look like the Blazers are extremely profitable so that you can 
ask for just a little more money Man, from Uncle Phil. Are people going to see through that, though? You don't think Phil Knight, like, he doesn't have social media? Oh, yeah. Like, he's, come on. <laughs> like, he's heard about this. And, it, and it's like they do this in late August, which is like dead time for most sports news. Like, all you have going on right now is baseball, uh, WNBA playoffs, and preseason NFL, right? So in their mind, they're thinking, oh, we'll just slip this on the rug. Nobody will pay paying attention we're not even to training camp yet but in portland people pl- pay attention to this stuff all and it was got. all over social media that's all they got um so i mean what would be your reaction if the yankees were just like ah we're pulling our okay, broadcast well, for through. one that's a hard world to imagine since like obviously we're notorious <laughs> for the, the way we spend money but theoretically okay in a world where they did do something yeah. like that i mean i have the same reaction it's 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 ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and if any any professional north american sports owner and like the four major sports we're talking about nba nfl nhl mlb if they try to tell you they need to pinch like uh pinch pennies by not sending their media crew and game day crew to games to save they're full of shit. They're all rich. They're all billionaires. Like most of them, like they're this, paying. Is, this is a side business for them. They make money in other ways too. So if they're saying that this is a necessity, full of shit. It's simply like nothing more than like you said, trying to skew the financials so they can sell the team for more money. And by doing that, by focusing straight on the money itself, they take away from the fan experience and they take away from their own employees experience. The people that they actually employ to say, no, you don't get to travel with the team. And look, flip the coin. Some people might enjoy, but like, I want to stay home with my family. This is great. Okay. That's one side. But the other side is that they can't effectively do their job at the highest possible level unless they're actually in the arena and with the players. It's simple as that. They're making yeah. the jobs harder of their employees. It's as simple as that because they're just trying to skew the financials. It's a very scummy move. It feels dirty. So the NBA did this during COVID, during the bubble, when none of the reporters were allowed into the bubble. Right. Which it was All a necessity. Every team's reporters. Right. Every team's reporters was calling the game remotely. And you could tell. Like, it was... They were doing their best, but it wasn't the same. There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of context when you're there in the arena, front row, and you're able to see, oh, the coach is giving an earful to this player after he made XYZ mistake, right? Like, there's just things like that that reporters pick up on that you can't pick up on TV. And I think you make a good point that it it hurts the fans' experience, but it also hurts the employee's experience it hurts their ability to do their job at the highest level and then if they are seeking a promotion or if they want to go to another team maybe this impacts their resume a little bit um and it hurts the the brand of the franchise it's like oh yeah let's say you are an up-and-coming tv color commentator and the blazers have an opening position why would you apply to that you'd be like I don't want to go there. Like, I mean, it says a message. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on high-end talent. And the organization on one end is saying, you know, we're trying to get the best talent we can both on and off the court. 
But then you do moves like this, and it's like, why would anyone want to come work with you? I mean, it's across the board. It's not it's not just media or color commentators. I mean, it's an organization-wide message at the end of the day. So if you're trying to get people into your organization and whatever whatever level, whatever branch, they're going to look at this and be like, I don't really know if I want to be a part of that organization that's going to take away from my experience, cut costs at every corner for selfish reasons i mean it's not it's not for the betterment of the franchise it's just for the betterment of the owner and, and the owner only yeah it reminds me of have you seen the movie office space oh yeah it reminds me of when the the jerk boss sends the guy with a stapler down to storage b yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah and then i don't know maybe the commentators are going to burn the arena down who knows <laughs> yeah it's like yeah we're gonna have we're gonna have to move you to storage B, and then they stop p- giving him paychecks. You know, like there's just a slippery slope to all these things. Yeah, that's um, right. You've been that working that for movie... free for like six months or something. He's like, I, I have not received my 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 paycheck. <laughs> there's a meme in here somewhere, John. You better get to work when we're done recording. Anyway, I just had to vent about that, and not even like specific about the NBA, but just kind of as as appreciators of sports in general as we all are super shitty man owners owners cheaping out um and then thinking that it's going to go unnoticed it did not go unnoticed there were many articles written about it there were emails sent to the president of the organization uh requesting uh you know comments and requesting them to defend this action and we'll see if they they go back on it if they actually change their mind because of the public I don't, maybe backlash, but. it's possible it's something like that it's totally possible and if so then you it even feels more slimy it's like oh i guess we're caught so i guess we have to do the right thing now but if people didn't make a big deal out of it we would have slid under the radar and still got our own way it still feels slimy you know what i mean it's not like oh guys you changed our mind like thank you for this res-. no like you know what you're doing you know what you're doing it's funny it's funny in the context of having a hundred and thirty million dollar payroll uh, just for fifteen players, and this move saves them saves them maybe a million dollars. Yeah, spending they're going to be paying <laughs> like, Dame sixty five million dollars in a couple of years, one player sixty five million, but they can't send their media for crew one season to yeah. an away game on like spirit airlines or whatever i'm sure like they're not flying first class or anything you know what i mean like they're taking commercial they're flying economy so like geez man anyway yep all right that's enough venting from me what else we got today my god my neighbors i don't know what they're doing upstairs holy moly they're like digging for gold or something well, don't let them come crashing through your ceiling. Somebody's got to let them know I'm recording the podcast. You need to knock up on the ceiling and say, hey, quiet down, kids. Unbelievable. Get that that pool cue. Yeah, my old man cane. I'm going to start banging against the wall. <laughs> um, in other news, this week we had Deshaun Watson uh, suspended for 11 games with a $5 million fine and a behavioral evaluation. This follows the news that he was the we talked about a few weeks ago that not the judge but the juror of this yeah there was some overseer uh, said that six games would be appropriate it was pushed up to 11 games what do you think of that i mean good still probably should have been more i think a full season at least i think 
should have been um i want to say like that would have been uh a fair suspension but i think to start there i think would have you know because he'd have been basically he didn't play last year give him a full year official suspension this year he's out for two years it feels a little more noteworthy um yeah, it, it, like the five million dollar fine. That's pretty good. That's a pretty big fine. And then I think the make make sure there's mandatory evaluation through a behavioral therapist. Like that seems pretty par for the course. I think is what you go ahead. What do you think of the statement that the Browns put out saying um, like he's been super cooperative. He's been stand up individual yeah, throughout. He's, been there. he's only like, been there for like whatever three months. Like. Do you, just, there there were some people that pushed back and said that it was a pretty tone deaf statement. What what did you think? I mean, that's the NFL. Yeah, it's a hundred percent tone deaf. I mean, I think for them, their their sole focus is just getting him on the field, You're just seeing him as an asset, and so they're trying to stay out of it as much as they can, and uh, trying to just push under the rug. That's it. So yeah, tone absolutely tone deaf. They don't care. They're just trying to get him on the field. That's it. Yeah. That's it. But yeah, 11 games is much better than six. But still, you know, when you have players that have dealt with serious issues before domestic violence and whatnot, and they're suspended for a whole year, and then it still doesn't, it still just doesn't set a good precedence as in the other violations that have happened. And I think this was your time to set that precedence, but I, I just, it still doesn't quite feel right, but it doesn't shock me. You know, it doesn't shock me. Yeah. There's uh is there any chance it gets pushed no, again? No, like, no, this is it. Yeah, they because they agreed NFL and NFLPA came to terms with it. So this is the suspension. That's why everybody actually released the statement because it's all official. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens to the Browns season. Obviously, should that trade the Baker takes, Mayfield away. Uh, should have waited. I guess so. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, do you think getting their quarterback and 11 games no i mean i i don't even know who their backup is it's certainly there's no way he comes back in 11 games and is like okay let's make the playoffs now like they're gonna have to be in a position by time he comes back and it probably won't be so it does derail their season i think i think six games wouldn't have 11 games it definitely puts a much bigger impact into their playoff chances yeah for sure and we're still 16 game seasons. 17. Right? No, they increased it last year. It was the first <sighs> of 17. See, this sh- this reveals how closely I followed the NFL last year. That's what I'm here for. I yeah, can help that's you. A, that's a long season. All right. Let's move on to uh, some uh, we'll wait. more gloomy we'll wait, news. We'll wait on the Yankees because we'll, I think it'll segue oh. into our, our final piece. Okay. Well, let's stay on the let's stay on the case of uh, troublemakers. Sure. So it came out this week in the MLB that Marcel Azuna, who had a uh, domestic violence case a couple of years ago and has not built a great reputation for himself, uh, was pulled over at like 3 a.m. on Thursday or something um, with DUI. And there's a, there was a clip that went viral where he was you know kind of not pleading with the officer but basically telling the officer like do you know who i am yeah, classic like i'm i'm marcel zuna of the braves um expecting that that would get him 
excused from the DUI. And uh, yeah, not not great for the Braves. I mean, they probably be, will be fine without him. Yeah, well, he but, played. Uh, he played today. I would assume that he'll be suspended at some point for us. Some amount of games, I would assume, but he was in the lineup today. But like you said, he uh, he's got a pretty bad track record, and this is not helping him at all. Do we know if he was like booed when he came out onto the field I don't, at all? I don't know. Or... Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. He, you know, he's had a, a production-wise, he's had an okay season, but he certainly hasn't been the pivotal piece he was like in 2020, where he led the league in home runs and. They'll be fine if he gets suspended or if they bench him, whatever that they'll be fine without him. The thing is, they just signed him to a contract before last year. I think it was like a four year deal. And so they'll be paying him something like $18 million a year. And it's not looking good. It looks like it could be wasted money. But the Braves, on the other hand, are, like I said, are doing just fine. So they've won. 10 of their last 11 games into today uh, finally beat the Mets in a series, which the Mets have been handing their ass to them. Um, about two weeks ago, they lost four out of five games. They had a five game set against, against the Mets. And I think they were only two and a half games back. So like they were in within striking distance. They could have came into that series with a division lead and they lost four out of five. They fell to six and a half games back. And uh, you're like, okay, well, division's out of, out of reach now wild card will be in hand they'll be able to coast to that but no they won 10 out of 11 looking good beat the mets um they did lose late today to the astros fell back to four games back um but climbed back they were back to three games back of the mets um but now four back so i think they're within striking distance i mean i i've, I've been saying for a while that i had thought that the braves would catch them um we're you know we're Closing in the end of the season now, a little over a month left. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they catch them? I I just think the Braves are so good, but then the Mets keep, they're not going anywhere. And they have DeGrom and Scherzer back now, and I had talked about that before. Like, they look, they are the real deal. They're very good. So what do you think? Who wins that division? I think the Mets win it, as much as that reveals how wrong I was at the beginning of the season. I've been waiting for the Mets to just kind of, collapse down to a 500 team and it just hasn't happened uh i think the braves still have a great chance of beating the mets in the playoffs if they do match up so i'm not saying that the mets are just you know unilaterally a better team but i think that i think they're gonna i think they're gonna win the division i think a month from now we're gonna look at it and the Mets are going to be three games ahead of the Braves. I think it'll you know? be close. I don't want to say I want to commit to the Mets, but it does seem like it's time to stop doubting them. Time to stop doubting them. And uh, I think they definitely are the favorites to win that division. I just... The Braves are strong, man. So we'll see. I think it'll be an interesting ending. But I, I think if somebody like gunned to my head and I had to say, I, I do think the Mets will pull it out. But I, I still think the Braves have a good shot. And I'm not 100% sure how many games they have against the Mets left in the season. But if they have, you know, six, seven, or nine games left or whatever it is, like they, it'll be up to either team. They'll, you know, they'll be in control of their own destiny. Because I think outside of that, both those teams are beating up on everybody else. I think the Braves are either the second or the third best team in the NL. I think the hierarchy goes Dodgers, 
Mets or Braves right. Cardinals. Yeah, Braves and Mets are almost interchangeable, and maybe you can give statistically you could give the Mets the edge because well their record is better and they've been beating the Braves, so that makes sense. And they that that one two punch they have with Scherzer and Degrom is just imagine facing that in the playoffs. That's going to be really tough for a team. So, but I have to agree. I think the Braves are right there, right on their heels for sure. Uh, in some other news, some some fun, just uh, baseball legends news. Albert Pujols, you remember him? He's still playing. Uh, and he hit a Grand Slam this week. I saw on Twitter that it was his first Grand Slam ever on the first pitch. I think I he's hit like stats. 17. I think he's hit like. I think you're I right. I think it was I, like 17. This was a it's few days ago, but 17 grand yeah. slams or something. So roughly one every year. Um, but this was the first time it was the first pitch of the count. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah, and then he hit two home runs the next day. So you're talking about Albert Pujols. He's still playing. 22nd season in Major League Baseball. His first season was 2001. Why are we bringing him up, John? He is closing in on joining the 700 Home Run Club, which is a pretty elite uh, group of individuals to be a part of. I think, what is he... Uh, this This is the problem with recording on a Sunday, is that I knew how many he had hit when he hit that Grand Slam he's, a few he's days ago. He's at 692 ago. now. 696. Two. Okay. So he has to hit eight more in about five weeks, six weeks, six weeks. Um, that's, that's kind of a lot for a player that doesn't play every day. It's possible it's though. Possible. Highly unlikely. And if we're talking about Albert Pujols in his prime, really good chance, but he's, he's an age. He's like 44 years old. He's so old. <laughs> Uh, and the first half of the season, I was looking at these splits today. He had six home runs. He was batting like, I don't even know, like 205 or something. But since the All-Star break, which was about exactly a month ago, he's hit seven home runs. And he's got a batting average, yeah. I think, of like 400, like a 500 on-base percentage. His OPS is like 1,200. So he's been raking the last See? month of the season. It's possible. So it's possible. And I mean, 700 is a huge deal. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you know that. If you don't, you're not a baseball fan or you're just not as educated about the history of baseball. There's only been two people in the history of baseball, three people, sorry, that have reached 700 home runs. It's Barry Bonds, Henry Aaron, and uh, Babe Ruth. You probably heard of those names, at least Babe Ruth. Do you mean Hank Aaron? Henry Aaron. Hank Aaron. They're interchangeable. I've never heard you haven't? people refer Man. No. I get mean up, get with the times. Everyone calls him Hank. Henry Aaron. Anyway. Those three players are the only ones in history. Baseball's obviously got a, a very long storied history. It's a huge mark if he can make it to seven hundred. The last person that flirted with it was Alex Rodriguez. He retired mid season four home runs short. So he ended his career at six hundred and ninety six home runs. Pujols needs five home runs to pass him. I think that's possible, but even then, I'm not 100% sure. Either way, he's had an absolutely incredible career. 
and um good for him man the cardinals were kind of running away with that division now so he's at least gonna have a playoff uh experience in his final season and it's um that's great man he's he's been one of the best ambassadors for the game um and one of the best players and best hitters that we've ever seen so we'd love to see him get there but i just do i just don't think he's gonna i just don't and this is last season by the way he's not playing another season after this maybe he'll hit his 700th in the playoffs and there'll be a little asterisk (laughs) it doesn't you know that doesn't count but yeah maybe i know but they'll the the Cardinals media will certainly well, try to make if it you count. wanted to add in a, all of his other playoff home runs, he'd be well over 700 home runs. Yeah. But, you know, we can just cherry pick this. We year. could. Um, over on the West Coast, Chris Woodward of the Texas Rangers was relieved of his duties after, I think, three years? Four. At the helm? Four years. Four years. Okay. Um, time goes by fast. It feels like he was just hired. Might have been five. Um, He's hired in 2018. So I know it was pre. It was right before the pandemic. Um, so he he's gone. He put out a nice statement saying he thinks that he's changed the culture for the better, and they didn't get the results that they wanted. But he, you know, he got the the culture that he wanted essentially, and he thinks he's left things better than he found them. It's debatable. I'd like to, maybe we have to bring on a Rangers fan to talk about whether they agree I mean, with that line of reasoning. I think spending uh, they $500 were in million a, dollars on players had nothing to do with Chris Woodward. Yeah, but it's not like they were in a great position five years ago. <laughs> um, I mean, they haven't been relevant for a while. Well, since what, 2015? I think. Sure. 2015. Um I'm not a big fan of Chris Woodward. I mean, he he said some pretty like like off-color comments the last couple years and just his mentality around the game is very like narrow-minded and old school and I I just don't like him that much. He was the guy that made that comment early this year about Yankee Stadium being a little league stadium. It's like, dude, <laughs> Go to many like there's thirty hey, he's, ballparks with thirty <laughs> different dimensions. Like, don't just talk about. He's not the only or... one. He's not the only prevalent person that said that in his defense. As far as a manager goes, after their team lost, yeah. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, in terms of managers, but there's plenty of people in the media. Yeah, we're not gonna talk about the that. media and internet because they say everything. I'm talking about a professional manager that was salty after they lost and made an excuse that well, it was because they we this is a little league ballpark. <laughs> Man, you're playing the same damn ballpark. Stop it. He must he must have been listening to the podcast that I listen to because that's what they say. Unbelievable. The you you're playing in the same damn ballpark. Your players are playing in the same damn ballpark. Don't act like well the other team's going to invade. You same dimensions. Your hitters have the same dimensions. Stop. And he's also the guy that really got on I mean, I'm not done defending Fernando Tatis because he clearly has had some bad judgments. A couple years ago, Tatis hit a in 2020, hit a grand slam. They were killing. Padres were killing the Rangers. Hits a grand slam on a 3-0 count. Puts the Rangers up, or the Padres up by like 12 runs. And Chris Woodward said that was Bush League. And why are you swinging 3-0 when your team's already up? You don't need to hit a grand slam. Like, again, very old school, narrow-minded. I just don't like the guy. So, in my mind, like, the Rangers are better without him. Does he get another job in the league? Yeah. I, I really don't feel like he's had a very good publicity 
being a manager, I, I know. I mean, maybe he becomes a third base coach or something. That's kind of what I think. I think that's his best bet. First base, third base coach. Uh, re- rehab his value. Yes. But I don't like him. Uh, Chris Young was promoted to president ba- baseball operations for the Rangers. Another former player, former Ranger, um, who didn't. It wasn't that long ago that he played. Like we we were talking about this earlier this week, but there's kind of this generation of managers and GMs that are are younger, I would say, than maybe historically. Uh, now Chris Young did pitch well into his 30s. I mean, I think he was pushing 40 when he retired from playing, but uh, a familiar name. We'll see if he can. He was previously just general manager. Now he's been promoted to president president of baseball operations so i don't know if that will change the fortunes of the rangers at all but um you know another well-known guy taking over the helm there this guy uh probably better known to be one of the tallest pitchers in baseball he was 6'10 super tall guy and he was one of the better hitters in baseball there his teams would pinch hit for with him he was a starting relief pitcher but they would pinch hit players to have him hit so pretty unique for a pitcher to be that uh, renowned in his um, hitting abilities. But I would say he was probably more famously known for being a really, really tall guy. And he was and is. Yeah. Okay. Now we got to get to the topic. You can't avoid it any longer. I know. The New York Yankees. They, uh, they're going through it right now. You know, baseball is a long season. With its ups and its downs. And sometimes you just have bad stretches and it's really hard to snap out of it. So Bobby, with uh, with the most level of fairness and uh, separation from the situation as you can provide, uh, what's going on? They can't hit. Give us some more detail. They can't hit. I mean, if you want to simplify it in in one sentence, they can't hit. Which means you can't score runs. And guess what? If you don't score runs, it's pretty damn hard to win games. Um, and that's the biggest... I think that's one of the biggest issues. We could blame it on injuries and things like that. I think we have we have enough firepower in that offense to score runs. And we're just not. Uh, we're not scoring any runs. Um, we've blown... Up until maybe today... We had blown our last five save opportunities. Our bullpen is consistently giving up runs when we're ahead. Um, it's everything. It, it, I saw Holmes. Was Holmes is placed demoted. on IL, who's been our who was our all star closer. Came out in the second half and it was terrible. And so I don't know if there's an injury there or if they're just it's like a ghost injury and they're just like take take two weeks off. Okay, don't even worry about it. Take two weeks off. Huge problem because Michael King, our other just excellent reliever, he's out for the year. So our bullpen's been really struggling. So we can't score. And when we do score, our bullpen is giving up the lead. It's It's been pretty much a combination of, I would say those are two major things, but it's been a combination of literally everything. Um, six people in our lineup were all having season low stints in hitting. Um, one through six were batting uh on average 150 including judge so it it's just it, like you couldn't you couldn't bet 
on all of these things lining up for pretty much 25 men on this roster to all be going through the worst portion of the season at the exact same time. But that's exactly what's happened. Pitchers, all the pitchers are having their worst performances. All the hitters are having their worst performances all at the exact same time. And it's just a perfect storm. Um, you know, I was sitting here with a 14-game lead in the ALEs thinking, well, you know, we can afford a bad we can afford a bad stretch. You know, we can lose a couple games. It's fine. And then in a matter of three weeks, half of that division lead was erased. I mean, we I got some stats here. I saw a stat earlier on Twitter. It's the worst stretch of offense the Yankees have had since 1914, statistically. We've only scored 21 runs in 12 games. Do the math. I'm not going to do it off the top of my head. Um, less than two a game. Less than two a game. Team was batting about 150 with a 440 OPS. And OPS, that means on-base plus slugging was only 440. If you had a slugging percentage around that, like, that's <laughs> still not that great. Your OPS, or OPS as a team, about 440. We lost nine of the last 10 games. And since the All-Star break, we were eight and 21. That's 13 games below 500. And like I said, our division lead has shrank from 14 games from the second place team to seven. Now, thankfully, we won today. It was actually the first solid win we've had in two weeks, at least. And so now we're back up to eight games in the division. But still, we've had a double-digit lead in our division for two and a half months. So to be single digits is saying something. Um, we had the best record in Major League Baseball at the All-Star break. Now we have the sixth best record in Major League Baseball. Uh, we had, obviously, the number one seed in the American League. Now Houston has a pretty big advantage on us in that department. That's a pretty big deal because if we do turn it around and we make the playoffs, but we're not the number one seed, that means that if we face Houston, we'll have to do it on their turf, and that hasn't historically gone well for us. It's been it's just been bad across the board. I mean, we hit a walk off. It would have been worse the other day. We were playing Tampa Bay Rays. They were going for a sweep, and we battled back. Game got delayed. We battled back, and we tied the game in the eighth inning. We went to extra innings and immediately gave up three runs in the tenth. And I'm thinking, man, this is it. Like we we can't come back from this. And somehow. We did. Josh Donaldson had a walk-off grand slam, and he felt like, oh, my God. Like, there was so much emotion that came out. Um, there's all these ridiculous... Like, you would have thought they won the World Series. Like, that's how bad these guys are mentally. You can tell the whole team is such a terrible dark spot mentally. And so when they won that game, Josh Donaldson and Glaber Torres, I don't know if you've seen this, they were, like, embraced each other. Like, Glaber grabbed, like, Josh Donaldson's head and, like, put him in his bosom, and they were, like, crying together. Like, it's... These guys like are looking for anything, for anything that you you can feel the pressure there for them, and um, they haven't been able to dig out of it. Like I said, the skill, the firepower, it's all there, but mentally, it's not there. They don't have it right now. And yeah, we won today, but we haven't won two games in a row, and in since July, three and a half weeks. It's been three and a half weeks since we won two games in a row. Kansas City was the last time. So. Even though, like, you just don't know. Like, I wake up every day expecting us to lose. We we go one to nothing. I'm like, we're blowing that lead. If we go down one to nothing, I'm like, we can't score enough runs. One to nothing. It feels 
insurmountable. Like we can't overcome a one nothing or one run deficit. Like we just we're not capable of it. And I know the team feels that way too. If you go well, it's not great when it's against your own division rivals that are probably not going to leap you in the standings. But it it's demoralizing when it's Toronto and Tampa Bay and the same and Boston all in the same. Toronto, league. Tampa Bay, Boston, uh, Houston. The Mets have been a part of this. Cardinals. We're facing the Mets again tomorrow. Yeah, we've had a gauntlet of a schedule, but in the first half, we had forty six wins against teams over five hundred. We had the most games played against teams over 500. We had the best record against teams over 500. And so it's not like we weren't playing quality teams in the first half. We were. But the second half, man, we can't. We're the worst team in baseball. It's as simple as that. We're the worst team in baseball right now. And yes, we can climb out of it. We have time. Fortunately, that's what happens when you get 40 games above 500 in the first three months. But come playoffs, man, if we're a shell of ourselves, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, we got to win. <laughs> like, we got to win in October. So they got to they gotta turn it around. And Aaron Boone, yesterday after we lost again, he had a really, like, I mean, have you seen it? I mean, I sent it to you, right? He was, freak, he was kind yeah, of freaking out at the clip. podium at the post-game press conference. He was slapping his hand on the table, and you could tell he was pissed. He was sick of it. We're all sick of it, man. I'm sure the players are. Everybody in the organization, the fandom, we're all we're tired. We're fucking sick of it. Like, this is ridiculous. You know, this is a team they were talking about setting records, breaking the win record, and now we're like, oh, shit, I hope we make the playoffs in like a matter of four weeks. That's insane. Makes you really respect the win record more, doesn't man. it? Man. Like, Maybe that's harder to get than we're giving it credit for. You know, it's not like we just went 500 and it's been mediocre. Like, we were losing every game, five, six games in a row. We win one. Five, six games in a row, we win one. Like, it's astronomical how bad we've been. We talk about the Reds at the beginning of the season. Now they started 3-22. and 22. We're, We were flirting with that kind of performance. Like, I don't know. Stan comes back in a couple days. That'll help with protection in the offense. Sevies should be back in September. That's good. Britton could be back. He's got a sort of rehab assignment. I don't know what to expect out of Zach Britton. But if he comes back like he was, that could bolster our bullpen quite a bit. Holmes hopefully comes back with a clear head. Um, the new guy we traded for that took over for Holmes as a closer. Now he's on IL today. Scotty Efros, the guy we got from the Cubs. So we're just having bad luck. It, on top of bad performance, we're also just having really shit luck, really terrible luck. And you got you just kind of like at some point, like the coin has to land on heads. You know what I mean? Like it's got to do it at some point. It just hasn't happened in four weeks. It was on heads for the first uh, three months of the season. Uh, it's brutal though, man. It's been so it's nice hard. to nice to have that padding, huh? I mean, could you imagine if they, they didn't it. have that and they were like flirting with like third in the division if, if right we were now, 20 if they hadn't built yeah if we were 20 games above 500 when this started which is a really good record we'd be out of the playoffs right now think about that mm -hmm. we'd be out of the playoffs so thank god but that kind of like we talked about this beforehand this leads me into something i wanted to talk about was kind of fandom sports fans sports fandom 
clearly you can hope you could probably tell that I have a little bit of emotion in my voice when I talk about the Yankees. I talk about them a lot and good good segue. It's like it feels very real and visceral to me. And I've been a fan since I was six years old of the Yankees. It's been like a big part of my life. And I feel very connected to the team and to the community. Uh, and I kind of live and die by that team. And I mean that all in a very literal sense. And like, but why? You know, like it's it's baseball. It's a game. I have no control over the outcome. But yet I sit here and if the Yankees are losing in the playoffs, I'm, I got to go switch what socks I'm wearing. You know what I mean? Like I got to go, oh, I can't sit on the couch. I got to go get in bed or I have to go sit on the couch because I was in bed. Wherever I am at, this is bad luck. And it's this really interesting thing. Um, because at the end of the day, you have no control over this, yet it's so important to you. It is to me, you know, and I know I'm not alone, obviously, in the way I feel about my sports team, about the Yankees. So the psychology behind it is super interesting. You know, I have a partner that didn't grow up watching sports. She doesn't care about sports that much. She's been a good partner to get invested in the Yankees because I am. But, you know, to her, it's like, you know, like, calm down. It's just a game. Like, it's fine. You're like, just don't worry about it. And I'm like, I can't not worry about it. And so, like, why? Why do we care so much? Like, what do you think, John? Well, I can give the answer for myself. Uh, I'm no psychologist, but I can take a stab at why I care. Um, and I think, for me, it's if an organization is, does a good job, what they should create is a sense of connection between you and the players. Even though you've never met them in person, you've seen them from afar, a couple hundred feet away, you, if the team gives the right access, you feel like you start to know the players and the context of like what they've been through, what their journey has been to get into the league, uh, their ups and downs, injuries that they've had to deal with, uh, off-court or off-field stuff, good and bad. And when you, I think it's when you contextualize the story of the players of, and then you add all the players together, it creates a pretty powerful, like, emotional bond, right? It's like, you kind of feel like you know their stories and then all of their stories layered into each other. Um, that's why, for me at least, I think uh, it creates that bond. Is like, you know that they can be better than this. Like, you know you, when you see them struggle, you're like, I know you can be better than this and, because you've seen it before at different points in their career. And that's why you get so invested because you're like, other people might not see it. Other people might not have ever uh, believed in this player, but you're like, I, I was there from the beginning, right. you know, kind of that feeling. Right. And I was, um, I was curious yesterday too. So I read an article about it and, um, you know, obviously there's going to be many articles and publications and research into this, but the one I did read was talking about that, that the two ways you connect with a team is either through their success or their players. So somebody like the Cubs, an organization like the Cubs, who didn't really win for a really long time, they had to find a way to stay relevant with their fan base. And so what they did was they started having these like expos where you could come meet the manager and the players and connect 
individually on a personal level the players and because of that they created this culture that you know obviously everybody knows the cubs fandom is very strong and loyal and that's a big reason why is because they were able to connect on a personal level but on the other side of that too like teams also and probably like one of the reasons i do am i because i'm a yankees fan is i connect to the success of the team you know obviously i care about the players and whatnot but i really care about the overall success of the team because yankees have been so successful throughout their history like that's what yankees fans latch on to is the team itself success we have to win yeah i think there's also tribalism at play you know it's like well i stand for this and my team stands for these values and we are unlike those other guys who, who don't have the same values and so you you get closer to your group um you feel more of that gravitational pull because you're like they don't believe in what we believe in so we have to win you know we have to beat them you know another like the astros another interesting right? thing like the yankees and the astros i hate the astros um <laughs> another thing about that too is that there's i guess some primal thing about saying okay this is the team i picked and i want so bad to pick right and so i'm just going to stick with it because I want to be the smart one. Yeah. Like I want to be the one that picked the right team, and so that keeps you kind of loyal and rooting for the same team because you you desire to be the one to say, "Hey, my team won the World Series. I picked right," or "My team won the NBA Finals," or whatever it is. And I think in some ways that's true, but I, I think in some ways that's that's you know that's a very small piece of the pie, you know. And some <laughs> there's the one thing that I thought was really interesting is that they said that people that are fanatics about sports or a specific team tend to have higher self-esteem isn't that interesting because i feel like every time yankees are losing i feel like shit you know what i mean like but on the same side like your self-esteem is almost directly correlated with the team that you are invested into if they're winning you feel a lot better about your own future and if they're losing you feel a lot worse about your own future not just the teams but your own i thought that was really interesting um, and really kind of goes into like how deeply rooted and invested uh, an individual can be with a team that it really does affect them in their day-to-day life. And I mean, I feel that yeah, for better or for worse, like my day can be not ruined, but it can definitely have a, like a, a great cloud over it because just because of the Yankees and what they're doing. And it's been a tough couple of weeks and I, I'd be lying, be sitting here lying to say like, it hasn't made me feel like a little depressed for how bad we've been doing and you could sit there and be like that is absolutely insane and ridiculous why i because I, it does i can't help it you know and um sometimes it's just nice to you know when you're with something invested in something for so long to have something that is out of your control something that's bigger than you out of your hands just something to believe in that um i don't know man like 2009 was a tough year for me and the Yankees won the World Series like it helped me get through that year and I think you know you think about the Saints back when Katrina came through like they really rallied behind that team like that was the city it was all about New Orleans mm-hmm. Saints and so there's something really interesting about the effect that sports does have on a community and an individual as a whole and you know when somebody says like why do you say we i'm like damn it it is we like yankees is we okay yankees are nothing unless somebody's watching them or you know what i mean like they're nothing without the fans and we're 
we don't have anything to watch without them. It's it's a cohesive thing, you know? So yeah, when I say we, I am a part of the Yankees in some aspect. And I and collective pronoun. And you know, I but I love I love baseball and I love being a Yankees fan. I love living and dying by them every year. And it's kinda like being in you know, it's kinda like being in a toxic relationship where like every single year you're like, I hope they treat me well this year. And, oh nope, it's a shitty year again, but maybe next year, and you just you always stay in. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a weird thing. It's interesting though that the relationships are shorter term than your fandom. Like That's what I'm saying. None of the players from two thousand nine are still there. None of the coaching staff from two thousand nine are still there as far as I'm aware. So yeah, that that's interesting that it goes past multiple cycles of management and players um one thing that i want to pick your brain about that's on this topic is um i think we're seeing a rise in people being fans of players rather than fans of teams and i wonder if you think that that's good for we could we could say baseball or sports in general whichever you want to go but like do you think that that's good for the game of there's especially like I feel like among millennials and Gen Z, it's like I've met a lot of people in the last couple of years where I'll ask them about sports and stuff. I'll tell them my teams and then they'll tell me their teams. Like I met somebody recently who's like, oh yeah, you know, I like, this was the NBA. It was like, oh yeah, I like the Brooklyn Nets, the Utah Jazz and the LA Clippers. And I was like, what in the world? It's <laughs> I was like, every like what do States. they have in common? Like, that's a really weird assortment of teams, especially like throwing Utah in there with like two of the largest markets. And then Utah is one of the smallest markets. And it was because of the players. It was like, it wasn't really the history of any three teams. And you think about the Clippers, they were one of the worst franchises in history until two, three years ago. Well, I guess I, that's a little harsh on the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin years, but like, not a storied franchise by any means. No, but they were good. Um, so it it was the it was the players that was the draw, and it, you know, it's Kawhi, it was um, Donovan Mitchell, and it was Kevin Durant. And so then I asked the question of like, well, if those players are gonna go to new teams, like, do you think you'd still root for the Jazz and the Nets and the Clippers? And they were like, no, probably not. Like, I'd root for the Suns or the you know, whatever team they're the Knicks, whatever team they're going to go to. So do you think that that is good for the for sports long term? OK, well, that this that is my opinion. Is bad? I think that is exclusive to the NBA. I think it's very hmm. exclusive to the NBA, and I think it's you, yeah, my example. Was I think it's unique NBA, in that yeah. way. And when you started to say that, that's where my mind went, because one, there's not as many players. On each team in the NBA two. And the superstars stand out. Well, know. that's going to say the suit like one player can have a very dominant effect on a team. And so in a set, like when you think about LeBron James and the Cavaliers, like he was, he was the Cavaliers. You like, they weren't anything without him. They just simply weren't. And so mm-hmm. I think that's very exclusive to the NBA. And I think the NBA, and we talked about this before is so good at marketing and branding its players you know, and social media has a huge impact on that. So I think, yes, you know, when I think about the teams that I look for and I kind of root for in the NBA, I think of players. 
That's it. Where's that play? I like that guy. Yeah, I would like to see that team win. I don't think baseball and I don't think the NFL is like that. I think people are more, um, uh, there's a higher allegiance to the team itself, not individuals. Um, So I think that's very unique to the NBA. I'm not as educated on hockey and the NHL. Could be the same. NHL doesn't have a huge roster either. So maybe one player, but I feel like even then, what I do know is that people are very fanatical about their teams, not just players. Um, so when you're talking about the individual creating uh, the fandom, I think that's basketball. I think that's it. I think all the other sports are people are very alleged to or alleged, whatever that word may be, to just a team. And they stick with a team. Um, what do you think? You think I'm off base there? And I don't think it's a problem. I, feel like you're... I don't think it's a problem either. And that was your, your second question. I don't think that's an issue. I feel like it's it's bleeding into the MLB. I think you might be discounting that a little bit. Maybe it's the circles that I frequent. Uh, but I think there's people that are like Bryce Harper fans, you know. Um, I, I can think of some people that like you name some of the superstars and it's like maybe they're not. They'll like maybe buy his jersey when he went to the Phillies. You know, and even though they were never a Phillies fan, I mean, I'm not saying it's there's it's no not universal to the same truth, level, but I would but... say the majority and in general for MLB, NFL, NHL, uh, there's favorite teams, not just players, and they stick with their teams. That's my that's just how I see it. Yeah, uh, I think that I mean, this can go down a whole nother rabbit hole, so we don't have to go into this, but I think the change of NIL in college is going to make it everything more player-centric than team-centric. Yeah, I think it'll have an impact, and I think that is the direction they've been going. I think Because players are creating a brand when they're 16 now. So it's like the team that they're on doesn't even matter. It's, oh, I've been following this player's brand for the last five years, right? Yeah. And like you stay loyal to that. It's interesting because you mentioned Bryce Harper and he was one of the first players to do that. He started creating his brand when Mm -hmm. he was 16. And it made a big difference. It made a huge difference. I mean, obviously I still come to the league and perform, but you know, I I think what you're getting at is, uh, yeah, could be, we could change the face of how we look at, who we follow and the teams that we're fans of in the next five years, because, uh, you know, between TikTok and Instagram and all these teenagers really trying to build their profile and their brand up when they're kids, the big focus is on that and not the team. And I do think that is an issue. I do think that is an issue because if you're so focused on yourself and just promoting yourself, like you're not going to learn the intangibles of being on a team and actually winning. And ultimately if you do make it to professional, um, you got to win if you want to stay relevant. It's as simple as that. You got to win, and that's how you get money. And maybe that's why you don't see as much of it in the MLB is because it's harder for a player to brand themselves as a winner and a superstar because it's just so dang hard to go from high school to being a major leaguer. Like oh, yeah. the success rate is not very it's high. It's not the same. Whereas like the the NBA, it's like if you're a four or five star prospect, the chances of you 
actually getting minutes in the NBA early in your career is like much higher than in the MLB. So like there's some legitimacy behind you trying to sell that. Whereas like the MLB, I think people could just see through it and they'll be like, you're just some Yahoo that like probably won't even <laughs> play in the, like you'll be lucky if you get called up to the yeah, majors. Yeah, there's number one draft picks in Major League Baseball that never actually get called up. Like that happens. It does. It's hard. It's a really hey, hard gauntlet. Mark Mark Appel got called up this year. After nine years, did you I see, did that? see that? Yeah, he beat out an infield single. Hey, more than I never give up. MLB. But yeah, I think that's an interesting take on you know the people that you've talked to and how they follow. Um, obviously, if you're from a city and you pay attention to sports, you're more than likely going to you're going to build up your allegiance to that team that's in that city, like Seattle or Portland or New York or whoever. And there are some better sports cities than others. And I think that builds into it. It's a sense of community. I think that that does matter quite a bit. You know, I was never a Mariners fan. And now that I'm here, like, I'm not saying I'm a Mariners fan, but if I go to a game, the Yankees aren't playing, like I'm rooting for the Mariners It's a part of the community that I'm in. And I think, you know, if you have a, a blank canvas, that that becomes your team. And then it just keeps building up year over year after year after year. And then you feel like, you know, it's not just you're not just rooting for a team or a game. You're rooting for your, your community. This is an extension of uh, the place that you live. So, yeah, it's it's just really interesting. I mean, we could have probably two hours to talk about the psychology of fandom and sports and things like that. But it's something that's not going to go away. It's not necessarily something that makes sense. It's not something I can justify as reasonable. But man, I I love sports, man, and I love baseball, and I love the Yankees, and um, you know, some days it it puts me down six feet deep, and some days I'm floating in the clouds because of it. You know, like it's it's a very polarizing experience, but I wouldn't trade it, man. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And those experiences I had going to Yankee Stadium, being around forty five thousand other people that felt exactly the same way I did, man, like that's um that's a feeling i'll never forget man it's something i craved to get back after experiencing it and uh i think that's pretty awesome you know not everything has to make sense it just sometimes things just are yeah i one last thing on that topic this got me thinking about is um you know i i think you and i would both if we were offered a job in major in the major leagues we'd probably take it right like just to be in a, a front office question, John? yes um and something that i've talked about with my wife christy that she always pushes back on she's like if you were if you were hired to work for the team that you're a fan of would that ruin the fan experience like would it would it uh kind of bleed together a lot of different sides to where like now it's work and the work part of it almost kind of ruins the fan in you. And I've, I thought that that's an interesting thing. Like, obviously you don't know until I don't it, it were to happen, but like, do, do you think that there would be any of that? Like, not to say that you would start disliking the team, but just like it would lose the special, I think the specialness because you'd lift the curtain and you'd see maybe some of the things you don't want to see. I think, you know, Everybody's different, so I can only speak for myself, but I had if I had to assume, I don't think it would take away or change. I think it would just add a different layer to it. 
um, one of the guys I listen to, Ryan Rucco, is a color commentator for Yes Network, which is Yankees um, sports media network. So he broadcasts Yankee games, and he's been a Yankees fan since he was a, a tiny, tiny little toddler. And he still speaks about the Yankees as passionately as a fan as, as I do, and as I'm sure he's done his whole life, even though he technically does work for them. Granted, it's a different way. He's commentating the game. He's not in, actually in the business of the organization. You know, he's not a GM or vice president or whatever it may be. But I think if you are a fan of that franchise, I, I think it just adds to it. I don't think it changes it. I don't. I, I don't. In, in my opinion, and that, you know, the mm-hmm. the addition might not always be a positive thing, but I think your fandom and how you feel about the team in that sense. I think that will stay the same. Sometimes I think that I would do better if I was in an, in an organization that I didn't have an emotional, much of an emotional On the business to. side, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you probably would. Because I think just like that feeling of like letting down the community or like making a decision that's unpopular, whether it's hopefully it's not as egregious as uh, keeping the broadcast team from traveling, sure. but like trading away a beloved player like when the mariners traded away ichiro to the yankees that probably was a very difficult day for that gm at the time but could you imagine how much more difficult it would have been if he had actually like grown up in seattle been a lifelong mariners fan you know i i just think about that no i think it's a valid point and i think that's you know when you walk in and you clock in you got to put your you know, you got to put your professional pants on. You have to on. separate You got to be able to separate. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think emotionally, yeah, that would definitely be difficult, uh, 100%. John, I'm curious, yeah. what, is, what is the worst reaction you've had as a fan of the Blazers or whatever team? Like, what's, what do you feel like is the most passionate reaction you've ever had uh, because of something that happened in a game you were watching that you were invested into? Like on the, it has to be like an angry. No, thing. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be angry necessarily. Because I know we've talked about when we started the podcast, we talked about like yeah, our yeah, yeah, best sports moments. Um, hmm. I don't know. I think I just like. I mean, I'll give a recent example of like. People have really short memories in sports. Yeah. True. And. So, like, Damian Lillard was injured for most of last season, star player of the Blazers. And he was a top 15 player in the league. He he made all-NBA first team multiple times. And people have just, like, forgotten about him. Like, when you see those national lists of, like, you know, top 20 players in the NBA or top this, top point guards, top scorers, top offensive players, like, he's just not on there. And it's only been, it hasn't even been a year. And people are acting like the man like died. <laughs> and I think that's that's something that gets me fired up. It's like, do we really have that short of memory spans? And and I think it, it goes into being a small market more than anything. Like if it was Kyrie Irving and it was the Nets and Kyrie Irving was gone for a year and then these lists were coming out, he'd still be on those lists. But like people just forget about Dame. And uh, well, I don't think it's like unique to the Blazers. I think it's a it's the curse of the small market. I think it happens to 
uh, name your small market. Well, I think it way to fail the question. I was looking for punching a hole through a wall or breaking down crying or something, <laughs> but sure, like that'll, if that's, if that's what gets you. Oh, oh I think that maybe the most you get out of me is like, I write a mean tweet and then I delete <laughs> it in my drafts. I'm like, no, I don't actually want this out there in the public sphere. Well, I have probably a few embarrassing times in my life of slapping and punching things. And it, it goes, it's the gamut. Like, it, it goes all around positive and negative. Like, you know, when Derek Jeter, he, uh, when he retired and he got that walk off hit, like, I literally cried for an hour. I'm not kidding. I did. And I didn't even know what was wrong with me. I'm like, why am I crying? But I did. Like, that was the end of my childhood, like childhood era, essentially. Like I grew up with that, that guy in the middle of my franchise and, and that team and that core. What, and then like when he was gone, that was it. And like, it just felt like it, something died, you know, like it was gone. It was over. And, uh, it was emotional, man. I was crying for a long time. And, you know, there's been a couple of times, like, you know, the 2004 ALCS, I still don't feel comfortable talking about, like, it still hurts me to see footage. And I, I mean that, like, I, it's like painful like i don't want to see it i don't want to talk about it. i want to hear about it like it's a bad memory it's like almost trauma and i say that like on a very surface level because it's not really trauma and i don't want to take away from people mm-hmm. who have actually experienced real trauma um but like, it definitely has had a profound uh impact on me um going through that like it's it stings and uh you know hana tells this story all the time to people where a couple years ago when the Astros walked off against the Yankees in the ALCS. Like I literally, I just laid there for like an hour, just, just sunken, shelled, didn't talk, I didn't say anything. I was just staring at the wall for an hour. So like I like, and I'm a pretty calm and cool, collected guy outside of that. I don't get too emotional. I don't get highs and lows. But man, when it comes to the Yankees, like all bets are off. I'll be all over the fucking place. Yeah, I, I you mentioned throwing a punch through the wall. I have actually seen that happen for somebody who's rooting for the same team as me. I, it was when I was in college and we were in the dorms, went to Gonzaga. So we were watching a Gonzaga basketball game and it was an away game. So we were just in the common room and um, there was no alcohol involved. I can honestly say, <laughs> and, but something happened at the end of the game where somebody on the floor really did punch the wall in front of like 50, 60 <laughs> people. He's like, he was just reactions, <laughs> and, pure reaction, pure emotion. Just, yeah, like did not think about it at all. And then was, I think, embarrassed after it happened <laughs> in front of everyone. And, um, but that's the only time I can actually, uh, think of somebody like, physically punching a wall oh man so i don't i I don't know if barry if you're listening i'm sorry but barry does and he has that's my brother he he has put holes through doors and things like that um he's he's i would say in in one in one way he's more emotional than i am in the moment but it usually doesn't stay with him for me it stays with me like i might not react Mm -hmm. as like fiercely as he does but I'll hold on to it for like weeks and months and he'll be able to let go after a couple of days. So he's better in that moment. But like in the moment, that man goes wild. Like when, so Jalen Suggs, you know, two years ago, he, in the final four, he hit that buzzer beater, like at half court 
against UCLA. I was with Barry, and I like you know I'm I'm a fan of the Zags too. Like I, that's outside the Yankees, I'd probably say like that's the team I'm most passionate about. But I'm not on the same level as Barry, not even by a mile. And when he hit that shot, I'm up and jumping, I'm celebrating, and I kind of jump up like this, and he, he grabs me and like carries me around the room, and my arms are up like this as we were like dancing on the stars. It was. Like that was a whole emotional experience. So like that's definitely a one lovely of my, brotherly the higher moment. highs that I felt uh, because of sports. And I have plenty of lows, more lows than highs. But man, you live for those highs for sure. Yeah, maybe I'll get to that point someday. But I, I'm kind of like you. I'm usually more subdued, but it does stick with me. And it just makes you think of like, it's incredible that these athletes are able to sleep. At oh, night. yeah. And I mean that in the most like respectful way possible, you know, of, like just the amount of the amount of uh, competitiveness and and drive and, you know, emotion to, you know, go home after you lose in a seven game series and then just like stare at the ceiling, you know, that'd be for really sure. Hard. Absolutely. I, but I think it is interesting. I think you kind of compartmentalize it in a different way. Um, CC Sabathia talks about how when he played, he never really got nervous. But now that he doesn't, he watches the Yankees. He gets really anxious and nervous. And I think there is like something to say about when you're actually in the game and you have some sort of control of the outcome and you're such a competitive guy and you're locked in. You don't feel it in the moment. Um, but when you're on the outside looking in and there's nothing you can do, I think is when it's kind of when that anxiety spikes up. You know. Wait, so does CC Sabathia get nervous when Cleveland plays? No, no, he sees himself as a Yankee. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. The world doesn't. The world Look, doesn't. Pinstripe strong, man. What can I say? You become part of that family, you never leave. It's just simple as that. Yankees are the Yankees. There's no arguing it. There's no arguing it. Poor Cleveland. All right. I think we've uh, we've reminisced. We've We've shared our emotional experiences as fans. Uh, hopefully, there will be more to come in October. Emotional highs, John. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. Emotional I'm sick highs. of emotional lows right now, but yes. Um, anything else you want to cover this week before we head out? That's it, man. A little bit of a longer episode this week, but I think we kind of got carried away about that. Talk. Again, I could, we could talk. I could talk for a long time about. We could. There's a lot of branches of oh, conversation yeah, maybe we, that we could have gone off on. If somebody really cares that much and has made it all the way to this point in the episode and wants to talk to us wants us to talk more about it, let us know. Let us know and we Certainly will we'll make can. a whole episode about it. All right. Where can people find us? Instagram, Twitter, at Yankee Six for me, and at Thorpe Theory for John. Alrighty, we'll be back next week. It'll be getting close, getting close to September. Things tightening up a little bit in the MLB playoff race. Uh, we'll see if we have any more, any crazy last-minute trades in the NBA before KD's got to go at some starts. point. He's got to go at some point. Well, or maybe crazy uh, last-minute trades in the NFL before that season starts. Could yeah. happen. All right, but until then, we hope you all have a great week. Thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you all soon. Right. Thanks, everybody. Toodles.